Hey, thanks for being here today. What a joy it is every first day of the week that we come together to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He is the reason that we have so much blessing in our life. And so every single day of our life, we live that out and we live to give Him praise in everything that we do and say. But today's a special day because we come together as the community of Christ, as the body of Christ in one place to praise His name, to raise His name on high, but also to encourage one another as we look across the aisle and partake of communion together as um, Philip said that uh, we come together, that is a union for us. It's a commitment to one another and to Jesus Christ on this specific day. So thanks for being here today to do just that. I want to say a welcome to our guests that are here in our audience. Thank you for joining us. Truly an honor that you're here and a part of our service today. And of course, our hope is if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to be a part of our Cross Point family because we are all broken people who've just made a decision to, to be disciples of Jesus Christ, to surrender ourselves to him, to say, God, we want to be used in your story how you see fit. Please use us. And so we invite you into that process, too, to be a part of God's story. And we hope that you'll think about joining us here in this place. As Kale said, there's lots of opportunity to be involved in ministry, to use your particular gift sets the way God has designed you. And we're going to take a look in detail at some of those uh, today. But uh, take a look at the bulletin and find ways that you can be involved. Uh, certainly, we applaud the 30 that uh, went out and were the hands and feet uh, of Jesus uh, on Saturday morning and helping folks in our community who desperately need some food uh, that are not as well off maybe as some of us here uh, today. And it was a pleasure to serve those people in that way. Uh, we also get to come back together, as Kale said, tonight to be the body of Christ and maybe enlarge in our bodies a little bit with some ice cream, uh, which is okay because it'll be a lot of fun just to be together, to hang out, to tell stories, to see how life is going uh, over some ice cream, but then to come in here and worship and praise uh, our Savior together. We'll have some old songs, we'll have some newer songs, and I hope that you'll join us in that time uh, of worship. Well, we continue our series today on leadership. This is the second week in a six-week series. Uh, and so as we begin to lay the foundation of what the Bible teaches Christian leadership should look like, if you'll remember last week, we laid out uh, that Jesus Christ is the foundation of how we view leadership. We look at his ministry and his life, and it really details for us what that really should look like for each and every one of us, no matter if we're talking about uh, leadership in our home, leadership in our community, in the places that we work, and certainly in the church. And as we move through this series, as we get closer to the end, we'll talk specifically about church leadership. But certainly as we lay these first couple of weeks, I want all of us to realize that we're all called as disciples of Christ uh, to be in leadership in some way, some form, using your gift sets, again, to tell that story of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I hope you've got your Bibles and turn with me there. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, and text will also be on the screen. We'll be taking a look at several other passages as well, uh, and uh, those texts will be on the screen as well, kind of as we unpack what this new community looks like. Because the truth is, the series is called Upside Down. Uh, and as we take a look at leadership roles, we tend to compare ourselves to the world around us. And Jesus said, listen, there, there's no place for that type of mentality or leadership within the body of Christ. It looks really different. And so we're called to a very different lifestyle, a very different form of leadership in the life that we live. Paul, in his writings, in all of his writings, mentioned that the secular way of leadership just really doesn't have a place in the church, doesn't have a place in the body of Christ. And as a matter of fact, as he writes, he, he really develops 
looking through the lens of Jesus Christ and his life, these new models of leadership for us that really look upside down to most of us as we compare it to worldly type leadership. In his early letters, Paul really accentuates the idea that each and every person is called into leadership, that there's a participation of the whole church as the church moves forward in its context, in the culture that it finds itself in, which today is really where we are. We're living today. The culture we live in is the metro here in Texas. Uh, Although we have other mission points around the world, we're called all to participate in the life of the church. And in 1 Corinthians, we'll notice that right off the bat, Paul doesn't talk about bishops or elders or deacons or the titles that we may be used to if you grew up in church hearing. His real position, though, is that everybody needs to be a part of the church, doing the work of the church and fulfilling the gift sets that God has blessed you with. It's really this idea that the whole church is involved in leadership in their community. And so we're going to take a look at this lengthy reading this morning, so bear with me if you will. Text will again be on the screen as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. Paul says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another person is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all of these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one Spirit, and we all share that same Spirit. Yes, the body has different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that, bo- that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many different parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. (laughs) Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. 
So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, there are apostles. Second, are prophets. Third, are teachers. Then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we have the ability to speak in unknown languages or have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Well, of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Paul, in this one chapter, really accentuates the idea that we belong to each other. That everybody has a different gift set and maybe even multiple gift sets, but together we need to work for the glory of God. If you take a look in verse 28, Paul says that some are given the gift to help others. Others are given the gift of leadership. And we see that leadership is merely one of the many gifts that are exercised in the New Testament. It's just among the list of how gifted some of us are. It's one of the gifts. But look at verse 22. Paul says, look, every member is non-dispensable. We cannot do it without one another. We need everybody in the body to do what they are designed to do. So if you take a look at the, the different mission uh, or ministry opportunities here at Crosspoint, you've got folks who are really good at our community garden, which is over here in the corner of our property where uh, we grow some vegetables and we help feed some of the homeless here in Grand Prairie. Now, I would not be good over there because I have no green thumb at all. I mean, things would die. I could water it and it would die. It's just the way it works for the halls. Some of us uh, are involved in our different mission points around the world. Uh, We have two crews that just came back, one from Honduras and another from Kenya, Africa. And there are folks who have the gift of maybe raising funds or being available to to do without the comforts of home and family and go and minister to other members of our body around the world. There are those who uh, pour cups of coffee, make coffee on a Sunday morning, and greet those with a smile, or maybe here at the front door. You got a a hug when you walked in. There are various and sundry things that you and I are involved in because we've been gifted in that way. And many of you have discovered the gift that you have and you're involved in that. Maybe it's teaching our kids. Maybe it's being uh, involved in the youth group. Maybe it's being on the praise team. Could be any number of ways that you are gifted and yet a part of this church in some way. Paul reiterates his account in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. And I think he is trying to help us see as the church that there's no one gift necessarily better than another one or in some kind of ladder or echelon, if you will. He starts in verse 3 by saying this, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. 
don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them. If you are a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Paul reminds us here in another letter to a different church, basically the same idea that we're all gifted in some way. And together, we are the body of Christ. We're the hands and feet of Jesus in the communities that we find us in. One of the best phrases that uh, makes me smile throughout the New Testament is this phrase, one another. That we are in this thing together. I can't do it by myself. I, I need you in my picture, in my story, to help me on my journey. And my hope is that you feel likewise about me. Together, we journey in this way. It indicates this mutuality of ministry, that, that we can't make it alone, that we've got to have one another as part of this body. Now, Paul kind of lays out some leadership principles in his letter to the First Thessalonians, uh, the, the church in Thessalonica, and we'll be in First Thessalonians chapter 5 in just a moment. But in verse 11, he reminds us of one of those one another phrases there. He says in First Thessalonians five eleven, he says, encourage each other and build each other up. One of those one another phrases that says, look, we need to be with one another, serve one another, encourage one another, love on one another, because that's how we're different than the world. We're in this thing together, and we don't let anyone uh, drift away or do things on their own. We're together in this idea, living out the model that Jesus has set forth for us. So if the model of Jesus is followed where everyone really is equal within the church according to Paul's writings and there is really no gift set that is necessarily greater than another, how do we exercise equality in the setting of this thing that we call church today? How do we live with all the different gift sets that exist which include leadership? Well, we see that through Paul's letters, how leadership developed in the house church movement, because that's how the church began, just meeting in people's homes uh, in that first century in the different towns where Paul uh, established those churches through the work of the Holy Spirit. We see that in every single instance, it seems that function preceded position. And so we have this idea that sometimes in churches there are titles that need to be awarded to certain people. But as we read through how Paul established churches and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, evolved, that we see that truly function preceded position. In other words, Christians who exemplified Jesus' model of living rose to be the respected members of a local church and in doing so became leaders through their sacrificial and selfless lives. 
In other words, people that actually looked like Jesus, that were living his life out, who said, I want to look exactly like my Savior. And they became sacrificial in the way that they lived life. They became really this servant attitude. They really took on the Greek word doulos, which means slave to all. Those are the people who the church recognized as their leaders. As we take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And verse 15, Paul recognizes one of these families that has risen in regard to how they are acting their own life out. In verse 15, Paul says, You know that Stephanus and his household were the first of the harvest of believers in Greece, and they are spending their lives in service to God's people. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to submit to them and others like them who serve with such devotion. Paul says, look, there are folks who are within these house churches who already look like Jesus, and I'm urging you to think about the leadership that they are providing in your church. For this particular text, Stephanos, Paul has some things that kind of are on his list. He says, first of all, they are associated with seniority in the church. Paul says they're some of the first, if not the first family to come to Jesus Christ in Greece. Secondly, Paul mentions their ministry, and he asks the church to be submissive to them. Why? Because they're living life out in a servant's service motive, that they are living like Jesus would call them to live. So apparently, leadership looks like doing a particular task that is service, and then the church with whom they work acknowledging the leadership of that person or family. The church in Thessalonica was established by Paul on his second missionary journey. And the letter was written about 50 A.D. That's early, early in the life of the church. But the letter was written from Corinth. And Corinth and Thessalonica are about 185 miles uh, apart. But Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, assumes some discussion ideas about leadership. And the whole church, though, has the responsibility for building up the congregation. Paul doesn't let that slip through the cracks. That although there are some that are gifted with leadership, it takes the entire church. There's no one special out of the bunch. Everybody's gifts come into play as we become the body of Christ. But you take a look at many American churches today. And it's not just segregated to the church. You can look out in the world as well. The 80-20 rule. That really says that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And Paul says that's not what the church should be about. The church needs everybody involved. And too many of us at times have become consumers in church life. We sit back and we let the 20% go and serve or be a part of the ministries that are happening. And we come in and we prop our arms up on the chair and we're great Monday morning quarterback but we're unwilling to get involved in the work of the church. And Paul says, that's not what the church is about. It's about everybody using their gift sets. And he talks about specific groups in 1 Corinthians that are gifted in some ways, and certainly leadership is one of those groups that are gifted for specific responsibility. If we go back to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, take a look at verses 12 and 13. Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, honor or respect those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. 
Paul calls the church here to recognize this specific gift set. And he says, these folks work tirelessly for the church in different ways. They rise to the occasion. And one cannot have leadership with, uh, without the community's acknowledgement of those who lead. In other words, there are some folks out there who believe they're leaders, but they're out on a long walk by themselves. Because if they hoard to turn around, no one's behind them, right? But the church acknowledges those men and women who are leaders in that particular body of Christ because of the way that they live life. It's not an entitlement. It's not a a position that's attained because it's a popularity vote. Nothing like that. It's this idea that people are living Jesus Christ out each and every day in their life. Paul's work on giftedness and specifically leadership would indicate that the congregation already has respect for those who are living out the life of Jesus Christ in their life. In other words, people who are living sacrificially, who are living selflessly for all of those around them, especially in the body of Christ. So what does that look like? Well, several of those words I've already mentioned, but certainly it is self-sacrifice. It's giving up of your time and energy for those around you who desperately need to know about the story of Jesus Christ, who need to know about the gospel. It, is, it involves financial sacrifice at times, the giving of whatever accumulation of wealth that you may have to further the story of Jesus Christ. It's really called to hospitality. I mean, how interactive is one with the body of Christ, whether that's having them in your home or just taking them out to dinner or lunch or maybe a cup of coffee? sitting with them and talking about life in general. It's the idea that this person is really good at teaching and counseling those that you come in contact with to give words of wisdom as if coming straight from the Holy Spirit about life and how to live life. And it's being available for opportunities to do these types of things in your life. If you're not available, then even if you're good at those things, it doesn't really serve much of a purpose. Again, being a leader in the body of Christ is not about how much money you put in the plate. It's not about how long you've been at one location. Uh, it gives you the right to become a leader in the church. It doesn't matter about the popularity vote or maybe what degree you have hanging on the wall. It's how the church perceives you and you living your life out as Jesus Christ would. Jesus reminded us, and I mentioned this last week, of what the opposite of that really looks like. And in Matthew 23, Jesus really talked to and dressed down the religious leaders of his day because they looked like leaders, but in truth they were not. As a matter of fact, he, he said, look, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside. You've got the robes. You've got the regalia. You're looking good, but on the inside you're really still dead man's bones. And in verse 15, Jesus says this, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. Jesus calls them out. He says, you're really not leaders. You you think you are, but you're really not. And you need to think about how you're living life out for the glory of God. Although the church in Thessalonica was young, we, we do notice, based upon the writing, that there were some leaders, leadership that had bubbled to the top in that congregation, although there were no titles as of yet within the church. And so we realize that leadership then is really depicted 
by verbs. And we can look at verses 12 and 13 and discover what those verbs were for folks who were labeled leaders in the church. Several of those come out, two or three. One, he says, those who are your leaders work hard among you. So this idea of working hard and laboring hard, in the Greek, that literally translated out means to to be absolutely tired, beyond spent. And we hear those phrases, football season is coming up pretty soon, and uh, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm sure many of you are as well. But you hear, man, he left it all on the field. He he gave 110%. And according to Paul's writings, the leaders in the church were doing just that with families who were coming to Christ. They worked really hard and labored hard. Another phrase was give spiritual guidance. In other words, they offered counsel and they showed care for those families that were within the church. Many times this particular Greek word as it's used in the New Testament is used for the head of household. In other words, the dad in the family, literally. So he showed care for the spouse or the kids or the slaves that might have been a part of the house. He was concerned for their well-being, and he wanted to watch out and make sure they got the very best of everything. So they gave spiritual guidance to those who were under their care. And lastly, this Greek word for admonish is here in our text in verse 12 and 13. This idea of counseling folks to avoid the pitfalls that the world might put in our way. So it's this idea that I'm a spiritual counselor through the power of the Holy Spirit and I'm going to give you some advice based on how I've lived life and how I feel the Spirit is speaking to me. Let me help you in your own life make some great choices. And the way all three of those words are configured in this particular text is an idea that it is actually relating to the leadership of the church in Thessalonica. So what does it mean that function precedes position? Well, it seems clear all through Paul's writings that Christians were already living this type of life and imitating Jesus in their lifestyle. You're going to hear me say that again and again. Those who want to be leaders in the church look a whole lot like Jesus. It's not something that's just granted or or given away. Those people who are leaders look like Jesus. But we're reminded also in the writings that church members were equal in all respects. Leadership was a gift set just like other gift sets were prominent within the church. However, in the church, as we have discovered and in our writings, that leadership is always necessary. Take a look at verse 14, what Paul calls this church to in Thessalonica. He's already mentioned that the church needs to submit to the shepherds, needs to honor and respect them, but then he talks to the entire church in verse 14 when he says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, and be patient with everyone. We don't all run the race at the same pace. And so we've got to be patient with those who are learning what it means to be in Christ and a part of the body. The whole church is now encouraged to not be consumers Don't just come in and sit down and expect to be spoon-fed. No, Paul says it's up to all of us to use our gift sets to be involved in the work of the church. Each and every one of us need to be active. So, Paul urges the church and us to be active in our faith. To discover what our gift sets are and get plugged in and get going, telling the story of Christ 
how we have been gifted to do so. It takes all of us to make ministry happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. None of us do it on our own. We are gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's his power that gets us through each and every day. But we have to make sure that we are plugged in, not having a consumeristic attitude, but one that has an active faith using our gift sets. And in the process, the church has those who are in leadership. And those verbs that we looked at, who work hard at telling the gospel story, who show concern for the families who are in the body, and who counsel followers along the way to help them see the the pitfalls that Satan puts in all of our way, to say this is the best way to live life according to God's word and according to what the Spirit has laid on our hearts. You see, the Thessalonians, rather, it was written in about 50 A.D. Now, back in November, hard to believe it's been that long, but we went through the book of Philippians, if you remember, a four-week series. And Philippians was actually written in 62 or 63 A.D., When Paul opens up the letter to the Philippian church, he starts by addressing some folks there in the church, and he says, also, the bishops or elders and deacons in that congregation. So we see in only about 13 years of Paul's writing that function has now become a position. And so we have leaders within our churches according to God's plan folks who have been gifted in that realm. Why would Paul, though, address in 1 Corinthians 12 all of these different gift sets in one moment? I think Paul wants to remind the church that although every person plays a different role, although we have different things going on in our life, it takes all of us to make the church everything God intended it to be. Not just one person, not just one group of men or women, Not just one ministry leader, but all of us coming together. No one person lording it over everyone. No one playing the boss. No one that has secrets from everyone else. No one that is getting special treatment. There's no favoritism in the body of Christ. Each and every person is equally important. And at the end of the day, what we realize is Jesus Christ is king. At the end of the day, that is the footnote. Because we are the body of Christ, not the head. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And we're called to live out life just like him. Self-sacrificially. To lay it all in the altar. To to be different than the world. To be upside down in our living. To offer forgiveness, love, grace, and mercy where the world would not. To be inclusive of all men and women to say we want to look like Jesus Christ. We want to be everything that he has called us to be. And so this morning, maybe in our analogy, in Paul's analogy, you feel like the pinky toe of the church. I'm not that important. I promise you, as I have done before in the past, you stub your pinky toe, boy, you know it's there, don't you? Seems like everything you hit, once you hit that toe, it's with that toe. Every single person, as Paul expresses in the church, is equally important. And as we react to that and interact with that one with another, we're called to be patient one with another as we're on this journey together. But to realize that every single person is important in the body of Christ. It takes all of our gift sets to make that happen. Paul calls us to do that. 
I'm going to call Brad and the praise team to the stage at this time, and we're going to be wrapping up with this final couple of songs. This morning is really this idea that we want to be Jesus to all those around us. And so I want to encourage you to do some self-reflection as we sing this song, to ask yourself, where do you line up in the spectrum of things? How are you using your gift sets? Do you know what your gift sets are? Maybe you haven't reflected on that much. Maybe you've had a consumeristic attitude even when it comes to, to church life. I want you to think about that, pray about that. How can you become an integral part of the body of Christ? Because that's what we're called to do, to share one with another. As I said a few weeks ago, that all of us have refrigerator rights with each other, don't we? We are the body of Christ, and we're called to act just like him in our life. My hope is this morning that you've been encouraged by the word that you've been challenged by the word, and that maybe some of us will move in a different direction in life to be more like Christ. And maybe some of us that uh, feel like we know what our gift sets are will help others find out exactly what theirs might be. This morning has not really been a a call for uh, repentance or or baptism even, but I certainly want to invite you. The shepherds and their wives are going to be gathered along the wall of this room, and, and maybe you've got something in your life that's hindering you from truly being a part of the body of Christ, something you feel in your past that's pulling you down. It's kind of a ball and chain. And I want you to go express that to one of the shepherds and let them pray for you and over you. Let them put a blessing upon you so that you can move forward in your life. Maybe you think, man, I I can't get through this life, but you, you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit within you because you haven't been baptized into Christ yet. And we can do that this morning as well. I know second service for sure, we have a baptism, and I'm excited about that. One of our young men has made a decision to do that. His dad is going to baptize him, the Keeses. So uh, I hope that you might stick around for that, but it will be at the end of second service. That's a long time to wait, I know. But, you know, to welcome a new brother to Christ might not be a bad thing. My hope is that you've been inspired, that the Spirit will move you in great ways this week to be everything that God's called you to be. Let's stand and sing to his praise.